to David in the past week. Lord, you've had him involved in many different things. But Lord, you've been stirring him with your word. And Lord, you've been preparing him as you're preparing your word to be preached. And we pray, Lord, that you would fix his focus on what your spirit is saying this morning. Father, your heart, that it would be in him. And Lord, that he would speak from your heart and give us receptive ears to hear, Lord. That we hear what your spirit is saying to us through David, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome, welcome. It's been a wonderful weekend with uh, some involvement at Missions Fest with other churches down at Canada Place. Some of you have been part of those gatherings as well, and there's some more this afternoon. And by the way, I don't think we mentioned this, but it's actually Morgan's birthday. Is that right? So if you were visiting and you're wondering who Addison was praying for, one of our members who was in a very serious soccer accident, um, but he's in the hospital for the past week, and today's actually his birthday. So happy birthday, Morgan, for 42. You're looking really great. (laughs) He says, no, I'm all banged up. Yeah, but you're 42. You're looking really great. All right. So as a church, we are often talking about how God would have us to bring hope and love to our local community. How do we bring the love of God, the life of God, and the hope of God to our local community? And we might ask a lot of questions about that. We might say, well, how do we bring life? Or we might ask, what does our neighborhood need? Or we might ask, how shall we work together? What are your gifts? How do we teach other people about God? Or we might ask, what does Jesus and the Bible teach for our neighborhood. But today we're not answering those questions. Today we're asking about our motivation. Why? Why would you tell other people about Jesus? And as I begin to think about this topic, I couldn't help but remember when I was a young pastor visiting connect groups, house groups in our church. And I had this conversation with one of the groups. And someone in the house group said, I'm not really interested in anybody else from the neighborhood coming to our church. And I freaked out. And out of my mouth came, you're just happy for them to go to hell or what? And uh, that's kind of gone through my head every now and then. This past couple weeks I've been thinking about today's message. Because we're not talking about what we say or the five messages that we need to deliver to the people around us. We're asking about our motivation. Why would you want to tell anybody else about Jesus? And what are the good motivations for telling other people about Jesus. And so before we jump into that, I'm going to actually give you a chance to talk with the person beside you and just brainstorm a few reasons why you might share about Jesus with someone who doesn't know Jesus. Why would you tell someone, not what would you tell them, not what is the message, but why do you care? What would you tell, why, why does it matter Or why would you want to tell them? So we have two questions. The first question is your personal uh, motivations. And the second question is just some brainstorming in general. So just to start with, make it personal, just yourself. Why might you tell somebody about Jesus? 
just got about 30 seconds to tell the person beside you, get your mind thinking about this. Why might you, you personally, tell someone about Jesus? Okay, share with the person beside you. All right, hold that thought. Now just brainstorm a little bit. Other people, just other reasons that sometimes people share. Why does Billy Graham share? Well, he used to. Why does so-and-so share? Why might somebody share? Brainstorm a few more beyond your own experience. What have you noticed about some people and why they share? Go ahead. Now, I'll just give you an opportunity to shout a few of those out so that we can all benefit from this creative uh, mind-bending topic. Not what you share, but why do some people share about Jesus? What are some answers from the middle here? Anybody have an idea of why some people... What did your friend say? We want them to have hope. Good. Somebody else? Over in this section. Yes. People are in a dark room yeah. with candles that are not lit, Correct. bumping around on each other, but you have a light, a lit one, yeah, and you can see. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. That's cool. Why might people share? Somebody else in this section. You've got a big section over here. There's a few more ideas. Yeah, they personally know this is good. Yeah. Back here. I didn't hear that. Thinking of the other person's eternal welfare. Yes. Okay. How about in the back section? Right. Amen. I'll just repeat that for those watching online. Don was talking about in a natural guiding service. If the guide doesn't know the way, he'll lead you astray and maybe into death. But Jesus does know the way. He's a guide that you can follow. Very good. Our motivation for sharing about Jesus with others. We're looking in this sermon series right now about giving people the good news of Jesus. How do we teach people? Why do we teach people? All about giving people the good news of Jesus. I was actually on Friday in a pastor's meeting with speakers from Portland, Oregon, where they told us these wonderful stories how for the past 15 years, a large number of churches across Portland City, Oregon, my birthplace, by the way, lived there for all of six months, then I escaped. <laughs> the churches of Portland, Oregon, for the past 15 years, have done so much together across the city trying to help their city in all kinds of wonderful, creative ways. And in the past few years, they've actually been looking back and saying, we've done so many wonderful acts of service, but how do we tell people about Jesus? Actually, our number one call is to bring our city to Jesus. We must somehow go beyond just 
the actions that we're doing, and we must learn how to tell them and connect them to their own personal relationship with Jesus. And that's actually what our current sermon series is targeting. We are looking at our mission statement of God has called us to bring life and hope to our local community. But in the context of that, we're also asking, we know that every action we take is to the glory of God, but how do we actually tell people about Jesus? And today we're looking at what motivation brings us to that. And we want to suggest to you that there's one motivation. This is really easy. I appreciate Don mentioned the guide because sometimes we need a guide for our life. Sometimes we need a structure for our life. And sometimes if we're a new Christian, we say, the Bible is big and there's so much and I don't know where to start. What if I miss something? Well, this is one of those passages where Jesus sums up the whole Bible in a, one sentence. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Jesus answers the Sadducees and the Pharisees by saying... That the greatest commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then I love verse 40. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So if you ever get stuck saying, uh-oh, I don't know if I know what verse to read yet. I don't know if I know where the answer is. You can just come back to the summary of Jesus and say, I know what's in the ballpark, though. I know that the guide says it's to do with love. Everything else in the scripture, everything else that God is about is in the context of his love. In fact, John, the disciple, wrote that God is love. Describe God as love. God is love. His very nature is love. And Jesus said that of all the things written, of all the ways to understand God, it's summed up with love God and love people. Those two things will cover everything else that God expects from us. This passage that we're looking at today, and we'll actually spend our time mostly here and in 1 Corinthians 13, but we'll refer to some other scriptures. In this passage, Jesus is actually responding to some challenges of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Jewish leaders of that day are challenging him because he has just told three parables. And all three parables are saying, yes, you think you're God's chosen people, but actually you're not fulfilling what God has in mind and God is going to open the doors to all the heathens that you think are never going to enter heaven. And Jesus has just told them three parables ending with the wedding banquet, and now they respond with some challenges, and they're trying to trap him. Um, when you read Jesus' responses to the Pharisees, and you're cheering him on, it, I might get in trouble with some people here, but it's a little bit like, if you ever watch the videos of Jordan Peterson debating, it's like, how did he think about how to say that? Like, what an answer. You know, and, and different debaters on all sides of all issues are sometimes very skilled. But when you look at Jesus, he has an amazing way of everything he says is true, it's pure, it might be opposed by others, but it's always through and through accurate and true, and it doesn't conflict with anything else in Scripture. And so three times they try to trap him. First, they're asking about paying taxes to Caesar, and he responds to that one. And then they're asking about 
marriage and what happens in heaven, especially if you've been married more than once. Who, who are you together with when you get to heaven? And Jesus says, you guys don't get it. And he went on and gave them the answer. And then they respond with, uh, what is the greatest commandment? And this is where the passage falls. Our passage today is answering that they've come to test him and say, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Maybe they'll trip him up by he'll say something that cancels something else out and then he'll be in trouble. But instead, Jesus just sums up everything with the love of God. And he's actually quoting from the Ten Commandments. He's quoting first from Deuteronomy chapter 6 that says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then he's quoting from Leviticus chapter 19. So the Jews know their Bible well. They know their Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. It was happening at the moment. And Jesus quotes from Leviticus 19. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And Jesus takes those two and says everything else hangs on this idea that you love God and that you love people. But of course, what does love mean? If the motivation for all that we do and the motivation to share our faith in Jesus with others comes out of love, what is love? Because that word gets thrown around in all kinds of ways in the English language that isn't quite accurate with what Deuteronomy and Leviticus are looking at. We might think of infatuation when we think of love. We might think of sex appeal when we think of love. That's thrown around in our culture all the time. We might think of a desire that I have. I desire chocolate. I desire ice cream. And oh, I love Rocky Mountain ice cream. Or I love 70% dark chocolate with hazelnut bits dropped into it. Right? There's things that we just desire. There's things that we are motivated for because I love soccer. I want to play. I want to be the best. I don't want to be in Morgan's situation, but I do want to play soccer, right? And we have those kind of motivations. Some people have this affection I don't understand, but they say, I just love dogs. But you know that's God spelled backwards, right? <laughs> Sorry. I got, I got that from Tim Grant. I've used it ever since. <laughs> We love different things. We desire different things. We have a romantic affection. We have an infatuation. But when the Bible uses the word love in these contexts that we're looking at, Jesus takes the Old Testament and he suddenly reveals so much more. And he says, you know, you've had a saying, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Because you could fit that into Leviticus, right? What's it say in Leviticus? Don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Got it. I'll love my neighbors, but I'm going to hate my enemies. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, he just says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those. Oh, my goodness. What's he talking about? And Jesus in the New Testament and through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew is just uncovering again and again and again all the things that God had taught in the Old Testament actually had a much fuller interpretation than just these narrow, selfish ways that we might apply it to our benefit personally. And he's revealing that people are made in the image of God, and he wants us to reflect his nature. 
And God is the God who said he so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, to all the world. To bring salvation to the whole world. He is the one at Christmas that we say the angels said to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to people. Peace to people because God's favor is on you. This is the nature of God. And he envisions his people made in his nature to be having his heart of love, which isn't just about love for my friend, love for my own community, but it's actually about love for all of God's creation, even our enemies and those who persecute us. So the definition of love in the New Testament gets much bigger than the way that word is thrown around in pop culture today. Loving one another or loving as Christ has loved you. Donald Hegner, a Bible teacher who's quoted in the Word Biblical Commentary, summed it up this way, and I think we have that on the screen. Love is not construed as an emotion. Love for one's neighbor means acting towards others with their good, their well-being, their fulfillment as the primary motivation and goal of of our deeds. Such love is constant. It takes no resolve, no regard of the perceived merit or the worth of the other person. The love of God, on the other hand, is to be understood as a matter of reverence, commitment, and obedience. It is at once acknowledged that his identity as creator and redeemer and a reflection of that reality in the ordering of our lives. So we're reflecting God's reality And our love towards God is an obedience towards God. He's the commander. We obey. We follow. Our love towards people is what's for their good. What is best for them. When we uh, perform marriages, we often talk about this, that you're marrying someone and you're committing to show love for the rest of your life. You're not committing that you will always have romantic feelings. You're committing that you will show that person love regardless of the circumstance. Love is not an emotion in this context. It's your actions towards others. So when we share about Jesus with others, it's coming from a place of our love. Some of the things that we mentioned earlier around the circle here The motivation behind thinking about their eternity is love. The motivation behind, I have a lit candle, and I want all these other people to not be bumping around in darkness. I want to give them light too, is a love towards that person. And so the the motivation by which we're wanting to do this is coming out of love. Not mentioned are some negative things. Sometimes we could, for wrong motives, be sharing about Jesus. What would be some wrong motives that we might not be motivated by love, but it actually might be what? Money. To judge others. I've got the truth. Let me tell you what it is. What else? The law. Trying to earn your salvation. Yeah, we might go on our missionary tour and give all of our things because we're trying to make God happy with us being a good witness, right? 
There's all kinds of reasons that we might be motivated to serve God or to talk about God. It might be for the praise of other people, the praise of our community, to be well thought of by one another. But what God is saying is that everything we do for him should come from this foundation of biblical love, which is about what's best for the other person. And keep in mind that when the Bible talks about love, it's not in conflict ever with any other part of Scripture. So the love of God and the fact that Jesus said that everything that God commands hangs on these two commands has to be one and the same with God's justice, with God's holiness, with God's prohibitions. We think, how can that be? The easiest connection is to parenting. And we just had a child baby dedication a moment ago. The easy example is to think about as a parent when your child starts walking and you're going to the park. Don't go past the corner. You mean old parent. Why do you say don't go past? They're happily running down the sidewalk. But the child doesn't know that cars are coming and you do. And so you give them a red line and say don't go past the corner. God does that with lots of things. God says... In our day and age, this is a big deal. But God says sex is awesome when you're in a lifetime covenant with someone of the opposite sex. Every other form is a perversion and going to be crossing the corner into traffic and causing you trouble. And he tells us these prohibitions because he loves us. Not because he's trying to conflict. And so it's important that when we talk about the love of God, that we don't water it down to just the nice things that will never be in conflict with the people we share with. Sometimes God wants us to lovingly have a lit candle that, as you said, that sees and be able to say to someone who's in darkness, there's a cliff over there, don't fall off. That's very loving. I know the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, there's a cliff over there, don't fall off the cliff. That's very loving. And yet, of course... We're in a conflict with evil, and that conflict will come up in many different ways. How do we act towards outsiders has to always come from a motivation of love, even if they don't perceive it that way. Jesus was misunderstood. Jesus was hated. And Jesus said that you also will be. Jesus said, if they treated me this way, they will treat my followers this way. So we know that there will be those kind of misunderstandings. But the motivation, you never question Jesus. You always know that he is pure. Nothing we read in scripture looks like selfishness. It always looks like pure love. And so people need to encounter us in the same way. Colossians chapter 4 verse 5 says, Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. How do you do that? Verse 6. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how to answer others. Or in 1 Peter, Peter spends a lot of time talking about suffering. And he talks about sometimes you suffer for the wrong reasons, and sometimes you suffer because it's really persecution. But he says in verse 15 of chapter 3, In your hearts revere Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give everyone an answer to those who ask, and to give them the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. 
Peter's saying, always be ready to give the answer of what you know about Jesus. Why is it that you have this hope? But do it with respect. Do it with gentleness. And there you see the motive of love coming into that advice. So how do we share in love? And that's going to look different for each one of us. For me, it's usually car mechanics, honestly. I just, I just can't drive by somebody with their hood up and not stop to say, do you need help? I, I, I just can't go down the highway and see a flat tire, and if they're outside the car, drive by. That just feels so unloving. Now, those of you who never see those things, you're so blessed, I know. You can just <laughs> never cross your mind, God bless you. But for me, that's something that the love of God comes out. Our kitchen has uh, two walls of windows, or windows on two walls, and um, somehow I just see everything on the sidewalk. I it just, I'm getting a drink, I'm in the kitchen, I'm at the table, and I notice everything that walks by. And the result of that, about once or twice a year, there's a traffic accident on our corner. And those people sometimes come into our house to stay warm until the police come or the tow truck comes or whatever, right? For some reason, we're just three blocks off of the Second Narrows Bridge, and the people who overheat coming up the hill and waiting in traffic and then up another hill they come into Caslow Street because they've overheated and they just landed my front yard I don't know why <laughs> but somehow in those encounters there's always an opportunity to share a little bit of Jesus to let that person encounter not just friendliness but that person's friendly and somehow it's coming from the love of God and that's an important part of how we share the love of God, that they know, I'm not special, you're not special. There's a God above who saw you and loves you and blessed you. I happened to glance out my kitchen window, and there's a guy sitting on a motorcycle, and that motorcycle wasn't there the night before. So obviously it must, or no, it was there the night before the first time, now there's a guy on it. So obviously it broke down last night, and now he's there because he needs help, right? So I go out to meet him and ask what his motorcycle needs, and he was scared because he only has 50% English. He had just come from Japan recently. He said, oh, too loud? Too loud? No, 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 I'm not worried about your loud. Do you need help? Oh, turns out he's just moved into the basement a few weeks before, next door. And so I brought him over and showed him a garage full of tools that he can have any time and work on his bike. And for the next year, we do lots of mechanics together and bring his bike over and put it up in the yard on a hoist and all these kinds of things. And somewhere in there is opportunities to introduce someone who knows nothing about God, no background whatever, to start encountering a little bit. For you, your love language might not be wrenches. It, it might be baking. You might be the one who always brings cookies to people. But whatever your acts of service are, they're accompanied by the love of God. And it's going to be the things that God has put in you. The things, some of you, it's how to help someone learn English. For some of you, it's just how to help them rake leaves or yard work or different things that you see. Or sometimes it's childcare. Can I help you out? And you need a break. There's so many different ways that God uses us. We can't sum it up in one way. But we can follow the way of Jesus that as we share, the motivation for it doesn't come from self-glorification. It doesn't come from praise for other people, but it comes from this true love. We see these little
catchphrases that throughout the New Testament, when Jesus responded to people, there's one passage that says, and moved by compassion, Jesus. Another one, he's talking to a young man, and it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him, and then told him, God is love. And because God loves, he hates sin. He hates injustice. He hates people getting bullied. He hates people getting mistreated. He hates lying and falsehoods. And all of that comes into, we reflect God in justice. We reflect God in the truth of what we say. We find ways to tell people truth out of a motivation of love, not a motivation of judgment, which somebody said, thank you. The love of God, Jesus said, is what all his commands hang upon. Loving God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And when he told that story, Luke remembers and records in Luke chapter 10, he followed in one time by telling a story of a good Samaritan. Because someone said, well, who's my neighbor? And then he told the story of the man that was in need, who was from another culture, a despicable culture that they kind of looked down on. And yet it was, I'm sorry, the wrong way around. The man from the looked down on culture was the rescuer of the one who was beaten down. And Jesus said, that man who you have no respect for because of his culture, that man understood his neighbor was the one in need. And he told the story of the good Samaritan. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If we don't have love, Paul gives us a contrast. And this was in the context of Paul talking about the body of Christ and how they work together with all their different gifts and how they have spiritual gifts that are very different. And then he suddenly stops between two chapters of spiritual gifts. And in chapter 13, Paul says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but I don't have love. I'm just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And then he goes on. If you do this and do this and do this, but don't have love, what's the result? If I speak that way, but I don't have love, I'm just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but if I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give everything I possess and I give it to the poor, if I give my body over to hardship so that I might boast, but I have, don't have love, I gain nothing. And Paul is just saying all of our action, all of our gift, all of what we do for God, so to speak, if it's done without love, it's empty, empty, empty. God is love. And everything he does towards us comes with this sense of his love for us. And everything that we do for others comes with that sense of, of our love or God's love through us. Paul describes it in verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 4. Love is patient. And this is a grid that we can filter our thoughts through or filter our actions through. Am I responding this way out of patience? Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. 
It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. What a wonderful grid to filter our actions through and to ask about our motives. Are our motives revealed by this passage to be patient, to be for the other person's best, to be humble, to be honoring of the other, to not keep records of wrongs? This is a filter for our actions and say, am I truly loving? And we can filter it through this. And the good news is that when you think of all that could be done and you wonder, Lord, am I pleasing you? How do I live for you? I don't know. I'm all confused. You can just wrap it right back down and say, is it love? Is it love? Because there's lots we can learn about God. There's lots he will teach us day after day after day. For your whole life, he's teaching you more and more. But along the way, the checkpoint is, is it love? Is it coming out of this foundation? Is it coming out of the love of God flowing through us? Our motivation for sharing Jesus with others is the love of God. And the good news is, if you're found in Jesus and he's found in you, that love is already in you you will find and you have found that motivation causing you to do all kinds of things for other people. And in this series, we're looking at how do we share Jesus with others. We're not just sharing acts of service. We're also introducing that person to the king who loves them. And we do that with a motivation of love. God bless you. We're going to have a baptism. Addison, back to you or the worship team.